standing for prayer this morning? Brother Jay, would you pray for us? Stand if you have birthday, rescue, anniversary. Recognize you. Right here. It's good to be in the Lord's house uh, with you today, and uh, leaves are starting to turn beautiful and all that wonderful stuff, and Miss Dixie reminded me that the April surprise, what year was that? The October surprise, when was that? 1996 was the October surprise, anyone remember that? Oh, it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. We got like six to eight inches of snow, according to where you were, tree limbs broke. It was just wonderful. So we'll pray for that next weekend. That'd really be awesome. Uh, have another October surprise? No, probably not. Okay, well, uh, it, that's a great memory, though. Thank you for reminding me about it. Um, so uh, we have Patch Pirate Program this afternoon. encourage you to be here for that. Uh, Ladies Jubilee on November 4th. And so uh, there will be a meeting uh, following uh, the morning service. And so we'll just make that right here. Ladies going to the Jubilee following the morning service. Uh, Wednesday night, we're going to have missionary uh, Joel Travis and his wife Tahana with us. Missionaries to Nepal, looking forward uh, to seeing their field and hearing from them. We have a teen all-nighter on the 27th. And uh, thankful we have a young youth guy to take care of all that and young youth wife to take care of all that. Uh, Fall Praise Festival on 28th out Foster's 5 o'clock. Teen fundraiser on the 29th. Uh, these funds will help uh, with youth camp and other things uh, that the teens go through, uh, go to through into the year. And uh, there will be a sign-up sheet on the back table uh, later today for that. Uh, men's work day on November 4th, start about 8.30. Uh, trustees have plenty of jobs, and so if you can show up and be a help that way, that'll be a blessing. I had a note that I received on Wednesday night, uh, late in the evening, and it says, Dear church family, I miss you and love, uh, love all of you guys so much. The constant letters, uh, the birthday money have been an immense encouragement and help for me. Everything's going well and moving fast. Can't wait to come and see you all again. I can feel the prayers from here, from Alyssa Van Dam, and uh, they're in college. So thankful for our college kids. Hopefully you remember to pray for them on a regular basis. I was thinking about my college days and uh, thinking about how that was one of the most vulnerable times I felt uh, where Satan really wanted to, to kind of knock me out. Uh, if he could knock them out there, then that just takes them out of ministry from the get-go. And so we ought to pray for our college kids as they're down there preparing to serve the Lord. It's good to be in the Lord's house today. Going to have uh, Brother Foster come back, lead us in another song, then we'll get to our Sunday school time. Lord bless you for being here. Singing hymn number 375, Work for the Night is coming. We'll sing the first and the last verses.
dismissed to your Sunday school classes. We'll be in Esther chapter number two if you want to be turning there. And Brother Potts will be in here shortly. If you need a handout, please raise your hand. We are on lesson number three today. Moving right along in this series. Um, God's got this. I'm thankful that He does. And all the turmoil and all the uh, things that we see going on in our world, I'm thankful that there's God orchestrating and working behind the scenes. And we can trust that He's certainly got this. All right. Anyone else need a handout? Okay. There you go. There's one way over there. Yep. All right. Title of this lesson is The Unseen Director. I'm sure we've all been to a play or something of that sort, and uh, even here as we put on cantatas, um, you know, you see the choir or the, the play being performed, but the one that's really filling the burden and orchestrating everything is that director, and that's what we want to understand today as we're looking at this story. Just keep that in mind as we consider what God is doing as the director behind the scenes here. But in Esther chapter 2, we have a lengthy passage today. Uh, but we need to get through this to understand the setting and what's taking place here in the story and then draw some things from it that would help us in our, our daily walk and um, understand some things about our times as well and how we should view them and how we should have faith and trust in God, uh, certainly working behind the scenes. So chapter 2 says this, After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be a fair young virgins sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of the women, unto the custody of Hagi, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women." And let their things for purification be given them. And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. And we can see this is a wicked plot beginning to form already. Verse number 5. Now in Sushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. For she had neither father nor mother. And the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So it came to pass, when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Sushan the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house, to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, 
and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her things for purification, which such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens, which were meet to be given her, out of the king's house, and he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. Esther had shown not her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. Now when every maid's turn was to come to go into King Ahasuerus after that she had been twelve months according to the manner of women, for so were the days of their purifications accomplished, to wit, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with sweet odors and with other things for the purifying of the women." Then thus came every maiden unto the king, whatsoever she desired was given to her to go with her of the house of the women unto the king's house. In the evening she went, and on the morrow she returned into the second house of the women, to the custody of Sheshgaz, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her, and that she were called by name. Now when the turn of Esther the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go in unto the king. She required nothing what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. So Esther was taken unto king Ahasuerus into his house royal in the tenth month, which is the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Ashtai. So quite a story here that's unfolding, and we, we have much to discern from this as we consider what uh, is taking place and what's going on and what God is doing uh, even in this story uh, as we looked to this um, how this is unfolding. Now, we understood from the previous lessons what took place here, and, and Queen Vashti was unwilling to present herself and parade around these men that were at the feast, uh, and that obviously angers King Ahasuerus, and, and he's asking, uh, you know, what should we do? And they come up with this devious plan, you know, that uh, the men uh, have the right within their homes to, to demand things of, of the women, of their wives, and uh, and they had to obey and had to succumb to whatever petitions they would place upon them. So this is kind of uh, the understanding that we need to have now as we look to where we're at in chapter 2. Uh, and what's getting ready to happen here as um, they're selecting these virgins and bringing them in from all the provinces. So this book of Esther, it, can, it contains much like we presented here earlier about a play or a drama that's unfolding in front of us when it has very complex characters and a tragic conflict. Uh, it's a, it has an intense climax and a very satisfying conclusion as we consider what God is doing. In this story, a young orphan girl who suddenly ascends to become the queen of the most powerful empire of the world. Now, as you consider chapter 1, you, most of us would not have thought about the conclusion that comes to this story. But God had certainly thought about it and certainly knew what He was going to do. 
So as we look at this amazing drama with this amazing script, the greatest facet of this drama is the director itself, and we mentioned that to be God. God is, is doing an amazing, a miraculous work here in this story. So from Esther, we learn that ordinary days can become extraordinary. With God, ordinary days can become extraordinary. And as you go through your normal day routines, God knows where you are, and He knows uh, what He desires to do through you. And He can move, and He can change you, and He can use you in ways that you don't understand. And God did this in the life of Esther. He certainly moved in ways she didn't understand, but He directed her steps all along the way. We also learn from this story that burdens can become blessings. Burdens can become blessings. The twists and turns of life can be used of God for His good and wise purposes. The Bible tells us that all things work for good for them who are called according to His purpose. For those that love the Lord Jesus Christ, He's working in our lives to perform that which is good. So we understand that He's wanting to work in our lives. He's working in the life here of Esther. And even in our greatest hurts, we can understand this, that they can be used for God's glory. There's a quote that says this, Fit yourself for God's service. Be faithful. He will presently appoint thee. In some unlikely quarter, in a shepherd's hut or in an artisan's cottage, God has prepared and appointed you as an instrument. As yet, the shaft is hidden in his quiver, in the shadow of his hand, but at the precise moment at which it will tell with the greatest effect, it will be produced and launched on the air. God is wanting to work through every one of us. God desires to work to, for our good and for His honor and for His glory. And we see this unfolding here in the life of Esther. So we have to understand this about God. He's never surprised by anything. He knows everything. He understands everything. And He understands the, the past, the present, the future. So nothing takes Him by surprise. But what may have been a surprise to Esther was in, in the plan of God. All along, God was directing her life the whole time, even when she could not see what He was doing. So that reminds us that we must trust and we must have faith and have confidence that God sees before. He sees what's before us, and we must trust Him to lead and to guide in the direction He would desire for us. So although Esther is the title character in this story, she is not the actual main character. Her book is a book about the director, and that is God. And this story is made up of several cast members. Today we will focus on three of them. We're going to look at King Ahasuerus once again. And then we're going to look at Esther. And then we're going to look at Mordecai. So let's begin by looking at the king. A defeated king. Now we understand why he's defeated. His wife, Queen uh, Vashti, stood up to him and did not beckon to his plea. So uh, we, we see here... In, the verse 1 of our text today, the first three words says, after these things. So, so some things have taken place between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And as we understand historically here, there's a three-year gap. And during this time, Ahasuerus had been at war with the Grecians. And he has now returned to Sushan, the palace, in defeat. So it's a three-year span between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And he's experienced here a difficult defeat. 
King Ahasuerus uh, led a campaign against Greece and, and began in victory at the battle of Thermopylae. And then as he defeated and burnt Athens to the ground, uh, but then this, this early success was then met with much defeat. His success did not last as he was soundly defeated by the Greek navy in the Straits of Salamis. And it was with this background of humiliation that the great king came back and returned to Shushan, the palace. He was discouraged and perhaps fearful of how the provincial governors would respond to his losses. You see that in verse 1. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti. So he's come back from war, but he remembers something. He's got to deal with this issue with Queen Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed. Remember, they made a decree against her and against all women. Now feeling badly about the failed Greek campaign and with his anger against Vashti subsiding, perhaps he was having second thoughts about having banished Vashti. However, as is brought out in the account of Daniel in the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6, once a decree was made in the Persian law and it could not be changed, it could not be reverted uh, by the king who initially decreed it. And King Ahasuerus had banned Vashti in this way, and we saw that in verse 19 of chapter 1. So his anger and quick words with Vashti brought him sorrow and regret later. And we're reminded of how uh, we respond in anger and how it can bring regret and, and how this, we regret the decisions that we make in that moment of anger. Proverbs 14, 29 reminds us of, of how we need to deal with our anger. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. So we need to uh, make sure that we're allowing the Holy Spirit of God to temper ourselves, temper that anger within us, and that we would step back and let the Holy Spirit of God speak to our heart and Show us the path forward to deal with the situation. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. So the Bible's telling us we're not going to make good decisions in a moment of anger. And it goes on to say in Proverbs 29, 20, Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words, there is more hope of a fool than of him. And the Bible has much to say about our words and has much to say about those words that we speak in a moment of anger. So I think we understand that and we see the results here of, of what's happened here to King Ahasuerus as he's made a decree, he's made a decision in a moment of heightened anger. So in times of high emotional intensity, we need to guard our spirits and not give in to angry outbursts. For certainly if we do, we're going to regret it later. So this defeated king, he's coming back. Uh, as a defeated king here as, in war, he's defeated by his wife's response to him. So then we see this devised plan. There's the Persian Empire, there's Athens and Salamis, and then with the devised plan. Okay, so here's the defeated king, and he's remembering what he had done to Vashti and realizing that he needs a plan for getting a new wife. Once again, he returns to his counselors, these wise counselors. He goes to them once again. What shall we do? The same counselors behind the punishment of Vashti devised a plan for finding her replacement. Their plan was not a good one. And we know this, they certainly didn't seek the Lord in this plan. They did not seek the Lord. But remember, who's the director of this story? God is still the director. God still has a plan. The Lord can use wicked men to accomplish His ultimate plans. 
Proverbs 16.4 tells us, The Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. So in the past, God had used the folly of Pharaoh to bring about His will. And we understand those stories in the Old Testament as He worked through Pharaoh and brought about uh, the exodus of the Israelites from bondage. Now in Esther's day, God was again going to use the foolishness of men for His glory. These prideful men devised a plan to collect young women of the kingdom and bring them to a harem for the king's pleasure and choosing. We see this in verses 2 and 3 that we read in chapter 2. So what was the only qualification for these young ladies? Was that they would be fair. The Hebrew word for fair is tomb, I don't know how to say it, which means good, pleasant, agreeable. That is pleasant and agreeable to the senses. So they were fulfilling then the lust of the eye. They wanted this, these women to be pleasant to the eye, to be pleasing to the king in this way. What is obvious from this single qualification is that there was no concern for the women's character. The king's counselors cared only for the outward beauty. So these men searched the entire kingdom, all 127 provinces, looking for these women. So you can imagine... Put yourself in the place of a parent of a young lady during that time. The fear uh, that your daughter would be taken for the king's harem. So as these searchers came into the city and these men were willing to sacrifice anybody's purity and entire life to appease the king. Imagine the young women who were hastily married so they would not be dragged to Sushan, the palace, to become part of the king's harem. Let's speed up this wedding plans. Let's get married quickly. All sorts of things, but consider the time that they were in and what was happening. Now, we have things going on around us. Fortunately, we don't have this situation, but we have things that have been decreed upon us that go against God. We have laws that have been passed that go against God's law. So in much the same way, we have to make a decision who we're going to serve. Are we going to serve the Lord or are we going to serve man? And here decisions were being made and, and there was fear among the land of, these, of the parents and these young ladies. So once the women were selected, they were put through a process of physical purification. We see that in verses 4 and verses 12. I won't read it again. But they were put through this physical purification process. This purification process was degrading and perverse. Each woman, woman could, would spend one night with the king. If the king liked her, she would be sent to the harem to be one of the women available at any time at his call. Once in that harem, there was no possible way she would ever marry. So her, her life was determined by the king. There was no escape. Those women were the permanent property of the king. This is the backdrop against which God, uh, the unseen great director, was preparing the next cast members of this story, of this drama, if you will. So we see the defeated king, and then the actions that were taken because of the counsel uh, that he had received, and these virgins were brought in, and they were prepared for the king. Next we see a promoted orphan, a promoted orphan. So God directed a defeated prideful king to promote a humble, orphaned Jewish girl. Once again, we see that God can use even man's wickedness to accomplish His purposes. In Psalm 76.10, it says this, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, 
the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. So next in this story, we're introduced to two cast members who will play an important role in this story. We see Mordecai. Mordecai is in the palace. He's in the palace of Sushan. Mordecai had been carried from Jerusalem and brought into captivity many years earlier, as we see in verses 5 and 6 of our text. And Mordecai was certainly acquainted with hardship. He had seen much hardship in his life, and he understood what it meant to be a foreigner and a captive. He must have been about 70 years old at the time of this story, and he is introduced in Esther as a certain Jew. And this title could mean that those around him considered his heritage distinctive feature. And Mordecai was a descendant of King Saul's line in the tribe of Benjamin, and this will become important in, later on uh, in the story. In addition to Mordecai's heritage, he held an actual position of leadership as he sat in the king's gate. So Mordecai is in the palace. The next member here, uh, we must understand here, is that Esther is in this family. Mordecai had adopted and raised his young cousin after her parents died. And verse number 7, we see that her Jewish name was Hadassah, and then, uh, her Persian name is Esther. And Mordecai took her in and, and took her as his own. So when Esther was an orphan, Mordecai lovingly took her in as his own in this beautiful picture of what Christ does on our behalf as we accept Him as our Savior. He takes us in as His own. We're adopted in the family of God. He's made us His own. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And what a tremendous blessing it is that God has adopted us into His family. That He desires to work in our life. That He desires to bless us as His children. God has taken us in as His own. So when Mordecai adopted Esther, he had no way of knowing how the Lord would promote her and use her. Uh, he simply loved her and showed her uh, that love by caring for her. And certainly sharing with her the Word of God and training her up in those things. So here's Esther, an orphan Jew, living in an obscure life in a shelter, monotheistic home. If we had seen Esther then, we never would have guessed that she would have become the queen of the great Persian Empire. But yet, God is doing a work. God brought Esther out from obscurity to prominence. So we understand that God is in control and God is the one that brings about promotion or demotion. Psalm 75, 6 says, For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Sometimes in our Christian walk, we're afraid about our future and wonder if God sees the hardships or the handicaps or that we face or the difficulties know this that he does and god's people are not excluded from high places because of obscurity or hardships god is able to lead us to exactly the positions of service and opportunity he has planned for us god is able to do what he desires to do so god used esther's background from her parents uh, from their their death and then into mordecai's care to bring her to a place in the palace, a place of significance. Now, from her perspective, she would have never dreamed that to be possible. But God. 
So we see Mordecai in the palace. We see Esther is in the family. And then we see Esther brought to the palace. So as the king's messengers brought the beautiful young women and they had gathered from the king's harem, Esther was among them. We see this in verse number 8. The historian Josephus tells us that there were 400 women brought to the palace the word brought in, in verse number 8 is another reminder that Esther was forcibly compelled and placed in the custody of Haggai, and most likely against her will. This would have not been either Esther or Mordecai's plan. So she was brought into the palace, and we see as she's brought into the palace, immediately she's taken note of. She's immediately favored. Well, she was immediately favored. Okay, so as God, we understand His sovereignty, that He's in control of everything. Esther was instantly shown favor by Haggai, the keeper of the women. Verse number 9 tells us, It is God who gives us favor with others. That's interesting. It is God who gives us favor with others. Consider your life and, and just look how God has orchestrated and worked in your life. And how He's given you favor with others. How He's worked on your behalf in, in situations of life. And He's certainly working here on behalf of Esther. And He's giving her favor with others and others in the palace. You may remember that early in Babylonian captivity, God had brought Daniel into a place of favor as well. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. So God and His sovereignty can cause people that are around you that you've never known to show favor to you. Esther exhibited a grace-filled charm and elegance that God used to soften Haggai's heart toward her. This is the, the work of God. Consider what He does in our heart as we yield to Him and we yield to the Holy Spirit and we yield to the Word of God and He begins to do a work and He... And as we've experienced the love of God shed abroad upon our hearts as He's saved us from our sins, and then that love begins to show forth and shine forth in our lives. And, and that love that Christ had for us is what drew us to Him, what brought us to a place where we understood that we were in a sinful condition, that we were lost and undone without Him. And because of His great love for us, He shed His precious blood for us. And that softened that pricked our hearts and that softened our hearts to receive god's salvation that same love that can be exhibited through our lives is what draws others to us because of the love of christ that is showing forth through us so esther as she's exhibiting here uh, a christian attitude i'll put it that way an attitude of christ an attitude that uh, is in obedience and submission to God, this is showing forth, and God is working, and it's bringing favor uh, towards her for those around her. So Esther exhibited a grace-filled charm and elegance. She did not reveal her ancestry. So this is interesting. She did not fulfill or reveal this ancestry, that she was a Jew. So before she was taken to the palace, Mordecai warned her not to reveal that she was a Jew in verse number 10. So we saw earlier in our text here that her Hebrew name was Hadassah, but throughout the story she goes by her Persian name, Esther. So we don't understand everything, uh, 
that Mordecai was doing here and what he was trying to accomplish but to disguise her Jewish identity. Uh, but understand that God was doing a work here and God was bringing to her to a place of prominence, so we just need to trust the process, <laughs> trust what God is doing. So as we have questions about why Mordecai would do this, why they would want to hide uh, their Jewish, um, that they are Jews and their heritage, uh, we see that God is, is working in this in such a way that as he does, the king does not know, the, the, the leaders there in the Persian Empire do not know, but she's bringing, brought to a place of prominence. So it could be that God is working in Mordecai's life to bring about um, this warning to her. We don't know. We can only suppose. But we can see and obviously know that God is working. So the book of Esther does not give us an answer to these questions. It is possible that Mordecai and Esther uh, should have gone back with the other Jews. It could be that they should not have stayed there. We, again, we just don't know. And we could just draw conclusions, but we don't know. But we must understand God still used them in His plan for redemption in His life. So as we don't understand some things about this story, and we, we can only surmise, and as we look at our life, and our life may not been, have been filled with complete obedience to God, but understand that God still wants to work through you. And get to a place where you are in obedience to God. Get in a place where you are submissive to God and, and allow God to work and to guide you in the way that He desires rather than having to go uh, to harsh measures to get you to the place of obedience. Be submissive to the Lord. So you see, God's people are not perfect, but God's purpose is perfect. We're not perfect people. And it's amazing to me that God would desire to work through us and to use us to reach the lost and dying around us. But God's purpose is perfect. So as we're flawed, understand that we serve a perfect God. Think, for instance, of Peter during Jesus' great hour of need. Peter denied Christ three times. Out of fear for his own life, Peter ins insisted that he didn't know Christ. But God still used him. I'm thankful that God still uses people that are flawed. So after Jesus' resurrection, he made a special point to restore Peter into fellowship. You see, this is the ministry of Christ. The ministry of Christ is that of restoration. He goes after those, all of us, that He might restore us. Uh, before we are saved, He's seeking us, that He uh, might show forth His love towards us, and that we might accept His redemption through His blood. So He's seeking to redeem those that are lost, and then those that are saved, as they fall out of fellowship with the Lord, he's seeking to restore that relationship, restore that fellowship. So weeks later, in Peter's, Peter was used of God to preach at Pentecost and saw 3,000 people saved. Aren't you glad God restored him? I'm glad that God seeks to restore fellowship between me and him when things aren't right. And I believe that you would be thankful as well that God seeks to restore. He goes after that one lamb, that one sheep. He wants fellowship with every one of us, and He is a restoring God. So praise God that His grace is greater than our shortcomings. We see that Esther here, she waited 12 months. And this was brought out in our text in verse number 12, that they were prepared for 12 months. So once brought to the palace, Esther waited 12 months before she was presented to the king. Consider her life during these 12 months and what all she must have gone through. 
Some commentators suggest that women were held for 12 months to be sure that they were not expecting a child. The Bible also mentions that this was a time of physical beautification and purification. So our culture and other cultures, and obviously historically, we see a great emphasis on outer beauty. And while uh, there is value in caring for our physical appearance and personal hygiene, it is much more important, uh, or should be more important to us to prepare ourselves to meet our Savior, Jesus Christ, preparing the, the inner man. These women were preparing to stand before a powerful Persian king, but one day every one of us will stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Should we be preparing for it? These women were preparing for 12 months. We should be, be preparing for a lifetime to meet our Savior, to meet the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amos 4.12 says, Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. So if we have trusted Christ as our Savior, you will stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. We won't stand in judgment for our eternal destiny. That's already been settled by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. But as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will want to have a life of service with pure motives to offer Christ, to show our love and honor to Him. Next we see that she was made the queen. The Bible tells us in verse 13 and 14 that each maiden was called to go to the palace and spend a night with the king. This process was a mockery to true marriage. This was a mockery to what God defined uh, marriage should be. And sadly, it is not unlike how many people live today, going from partner to partner and, and just jumping around whatever they want to do. And this was the, the case here. This is man's heart. This is man's desire left to themselves. And we see it fulfilled here. Sadly, Esther had to participate in this contest, yet God granted her favor with the king and she was not dismissed the next day, but was chosen to be the queen of Persia. Verses 17 and 18, we'll read that again here. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight. So we see favor again being extended more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Ashdai. Then the king made a great feast unto all his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. So it was from this position that God would use Esther to then preserve the Jews. So we can consider our life and, and things that we've gone through. It could be that we've been degraded or abused or maligned. But remember this, there's a director to your story. It's God Himself. And know this, that He is not done with you. He still has a work to do. He has a plan for your life. And if God could promote a foreign orphan girl to become the queen of Persia, now consider this, a lowly Jew in their eyes is promoted to a place of great prominence where God is going to continue to work, continue to use her in a mighty way. So if He can work in the life of this orphan girl, we can trust that God will work in our life. He'll work in our life as well. He has a purpose and a plan for you and we just simply need to trust Him. Place our faith in Him. And allow God to direct our life and to move in ways that only He can to orchestrate our story. 
to bring about His plan and His will and His purpose in every one of our lives. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today that You certainly do work in our lives. We're thankful that You work behind the scenes. And even all the things that we see in the world today and even what we see in America, we understand this, that You are in control, You are still on the throne, and You are still directing. And Father, we just pray that we would have faith, confidence, and trust in You. And Father, I pray that You'd help us to fulfill Your will for our lives. Help us to walk humbly, obediently, and submissively each day. Father, I pray that as we've been reminded today of how these women were prepared for the king of Persia, might we, as, you, as children of God, be preparing to meet Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, I pray that that would be daily on our minds as we would purify ourselves, purify our thoughts, and, and Father, all that we do, that would be uh, a place pleasing to you. And Father, I just pray that you would work on our behalf to bring about honor and glory to your name. Father, we just thank you and praise you for all that you do in our lives. We're thankful for the, the story of Esther and what you've done here and how we can just be further assured that you are in control. Thank you and praise you for all that you do. Be with the service to follow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll meet right back in here at 1030.